This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, before I do anything else, I want to say hi to a listener from Thetford Center, Vermont, Bill Shepard. Now, Bill has written me emails before, but recently he sent me a package by mail that contained an old program listing, old radio shows that were available on cassettes. Now, Bill, unfortunately, we don't use cassettes here at the station, but I want to thank you for taking the time to send it to me. And I found the most interesting fact in all of this were the number and variety of stamps you used to mail that package to me. You had affixed seven three-cent stamps, two five-cent stamps, one 37-cent stamp, one 45-cent stamp, one 10-cent stamp, and one one-cent stamp. Gee, I'm surprised there was room left in the package for my address. But thank you so much, Bill. Your package was certainly the most colorful to ever arrive at my mailbox. Okay, the show is tonight. We're going to start out by going back to the year 1946. The same year, a tornado on the Detroit River killed 17. Lawrence Olivier's Henry V opened in the United States nearly two years after its release in England. It was the first Shakespearean film in color, and critics hail it as the finest film of Shakespeare play ever made. And the bikini is first modeled in Paris. 1946 is also the year that one of radio's most popular shows continued to entertain and frighten listeners at the same time. That program was Inner Sanctum. The anthology series featured stories of mystery, terror, and suspense, and its tongue-in-cheek introductions were in sharp contrast to shows like Suspense and The Whistler. When the original host left the series in May of 1945 to serve in the Army, he was replaced by Paul McGrath, known only as your host, or Mr. Host. McGrath was a Broadway actor who turned to radio for regular income. Beginning in 1945, Lipton T sponsored the series, pairing McGrath with the cheery commercial spokeswoman Mary Bennett, a.k.a. the Tea Lady, whose blithesome pitches for Lipton T contrasted sharply with the macabre themes of the story. She primly chided the host for his trademark dark humor and creepy manner. Well, let's get to tonight's episode. It's entitled, The Lady with a Plan. In her sanctum mysteries. Welcome once again, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Don't hesitate, come right in. Once you get used to these grim surroundings, you'll never leave. Nobody ever does. Once you're in, you're out. 
<laughs> this is the kind of place that grips you. Mm-hmm. The kind of place where the bars hold and no holes are barred. So come right in. Your only ticket of admission is your promise not to tell anybody about anything you may happen to hear tonight. And now for tonight's tale. Lady with a Plan. Written especially for Inner Sanctum by Michael Sklar and Richard Manoff. And starring Elspeth Eric. It concerns a lady living in strange confinement. And her fiendish scheme for escape. Moore Penitentiary is a sprawling mass of gray granite on a deserted landscape. To this grim and forbidding place has come a man with a purpose. To visit with Gladys Cross. He's a newspaper writer. And she is tomorrow's feature story. It's not a pretty story. I'll tell it right from the beginning. I'm no stranger to Moore Prison. I was a bride when I first came here. Wife of the warden. First lady of Moore Prison. <laughs> what a laugh. It was a strictly business proposition. Edward got a wife and I got security. And what I thought was a convenient way of life. But after two years of living like a prisoner in a house that was inside the walls of a jail, with a man who was 15 years older than I was, I'd had enough. But Edward had other ideas. <laughs> Divorce. <laughs> you don't mean a word of it, Gladys. Stop telling me what I mean. Will you give me a divorce? When you're feeling less excited, we can discuss this sensibly. No, you can't put it off. I've had all I can take. I don't understand you, Gladys. I've been a model husband. Model husband? You've treated me the way you treat your prisoners. You don't beat them. You grind away at their nerves until their minds are so much mush. I'm getting out before it's too late. You're staying here with me where you belong. If you won't give me a divorce, I'll leave without it. Gladys, don't be a fool. No matter where you go, I'll bring you back. And I don't want to hurt you. You can't threaten me. Not you, my dear. I'm thinking of him. Him? How do you... What are you talking about? <laughs> well, there is a man. You're inhuman. No, dear. Just a model husband. Trying to keep his home intact. <laughs> there was another man. Stephen Bromley and I were in love. Drawn together by a hate for more prison. Stephen was the assistant warden. I got word to him that I had to see him to meet me that night at our secret rendezvous, a deserted side road two miles from the prison. When I got there in my car soon after dark, I didn't have long to wait. Stephen? Yes, Gladys. I came as fast as I could. Here, get in the car so we can talk. Something is wrong. I spoke to Edward this afternoon. He refused the divorce, and he threatened me if I left. He suspects there's someone else. What? He doesn't suspect it's me. You, his assistant, he'd never suspect you. He will eventually. We've got to get away. But Edward threatened me. Edward, Edward. Look ahead, Gladys. You know what'll happen. You've seen it happen to the prisoners. You'll snap. Your nerves will give way. He'll, he'll break you. Then stop it. You know there's no way out. There is. If you're game. I know what you're thinking, but that's impossible. We could never get away with it. If we could, would you do it? Tell me how. Bucky Briggs. Briggs, the life. Uh-huh. I can have him transferred to work in the laundry. 
Assigned to handle your stuff when you bring it down. What are you getting at? Bucky hates the warden worse than you do. Given half the chance, he'd strangle him in a second. Now talk to him. Begin to feel sorry for him. Let him think you want to help him make a break. Then what? Then all we've got to do is give him the chance to use his hands on Edward. For two hours, we talked. By the time we parted, our plan had been worked out in detail. It was a plan for murder. Murder with clean hands. The next morning, I took my soiled linens and drove across the prison yard to the laundry. Bucky Briggs came out to the car. He didn't even look up at me. Where is it? In the back of the car. Here, let me open the door for you. I've heard quite a bit about you, Briggs. You want to take your fresh stuff home? But I don't really believe what they say. Look, lady, the warden needles me enough. I don't have to take it from you, too, see? Well, I don't know what you mean, I... You want your fresh laundry, don't you? In a minute. I just want you to know that I'm interested in your case, Bucky. So's your husband. I'll get your laundry now. All right, Bucky. The seed was planted. All it needed was time. I began to plan the visits to the laundry in advance. The remarks I would use dropped intimately and at close quarters out of the earshot of others. And after a month, it came like the fulfillment to a patient prayer. I was at the laundry waiting for Bucky to bring my clean stuff to the car. He came out, stepped into the car, took a quick glance around, and suddenly slipped close to me. It's up to you, baby. Get me out of here and then it'll be you and me all the way. A deal? I've got it all figured out, Bucky. You don't waste time, beautiful. Give me the dope. Tomorrow, when I come back. Be ready. Check. I'll get way to some friends to pick me up on the outside. Just one more thing. My husband... It'll be a pleasure, baby. I made a final check with Stephen and then everything was set. I was sitting in the car the next day when Bucky came out. I reached over the front seat and opened the rear door for him. Get in, Bucky. And stay down. Spot me. It's been fixed. The guard's busy on the other side. Where are we going? To the house. What about the warden? He's in town today. Stop asking so many questions. Okay, baby, this is your show. Just make it good. This is the back of the house. Not a soul in sight. Now follow me out, hurry. That's the cellar door. Open it, Bucky. Right. Colbin, hide in there. You may have a long wait. I got patience, baby. I've been waiting two years for this. When it's clear, I'll call you. Three bangs on the steam pipe. I get you. That's when I take over. Our room is directly overhead on the second floor. Check. All right, Bucky. Get in the bin. Hold on, baby. That's no way to say goodbye. What? I like them personal. Like this. No, not now, Bucky. Now. It's more like it. Something to remember you by. Edward returned an hour later. 
I was puttering around the dinner table too jittery to sit and wait for the commotion to break. And then, quicker than I expected, it happened. Sirens. That must be the break. They know they can't get away with a break here. Hello. What the devil's happened? Briggs. Form a searching party and wait for me. I'm coming over. Briggs is broken out. Any sign of how he did it? Nobody won't get far. I'll find him. And when I do, I'll break him for good. Instead of listening to that alarm, you should have paid more attention to that wife of yours. Because that siren is cooking up something that'll be a real scream. (laughs) And now, back to Our Lady with a plan. (laughs) And what a plan. Her husband, Warden Cross of Moore Penitentiary, is searching for Bucky Briggs, an escaped convict. But Gladys has hidden Bucky in the cellar of the house. He's waiting there now to kill the warden. And Gladys, she's waiting too. For murder. I went up to bed after Edward left. And lay there tense. The sirens had stopped. Hours, there was dead quiet everywhere. Then, close to midnight, I heard the door open downstairs. It was Edward. I could tell from his footsteps that he was tired, defeated. I lay perfectly still, waiting for him to come in. Curtis. Yes? You still up? Yes. Got away. Incredible. Got away. No one knows how. I didn't answer. He was a different person. Harried. Shaken. I watched him as he undressed. He looked suddenly older than ever. And I felt a sickening revulsion at the dejected spectacle he had become. I lay perfectly still as he slipped into bed and fell off to sleep. He was fast asleep now. I reached down over the side of the bed for my shoe and softly tapped its heel against the steam pipe. Edward was still asleep. I lay back and waited. Slowly. Slowly. And Bucky's silhouette stood outlined in the half-light from the hall. He moved quietly into the room right past me. In a moment, his big, hulking figure, looking more gorilla-like than ever, stood towering over Edward's bed. I saw his hands reach out cautiously for Edward, but just a moment too late. Who is it? Get away, me. Get away. This is the payoff, Warden. Edward was awake. And like a flash, he twisted out of Bucky's reach. I sat there paralyzed as a boat. 
Ever tried to tear Bucky's hands with your throat? Bucky held on tighter and tighter, digging his fingers deeper into the soft fleshiness of Edward's throat. Okay. I didn't move. I didn't speak. And he understood. You'll never get away with this. Shut him up, Bucky. Easy, baby, easy. Another squeeze of his Just like you wanted him. I want to see for myself. You don't have to. When I twist her neck, it stays twisted. Dead. He's dead. Now get me out of here. There's a rope and a scaling hook behind the cellar door. Check. Stick close to the house until you reach the hedge. Then out across the south wall gate. Check. All right, I'll go. Aren't you forgetting something? What? Come here. Oh, take that bucky, please. This more off. I'm getting to like Please it. Please go. Okay. Just one thing. Remember, give me two hours before you turn in the alarm. I'll be waiting for you out there. Goodbye, baby. As soon as he was gone, I glanced at my watch and followed the second hand around twice. Now I was ready. Who is this? It's Mrs. Cross. Bucky Briggs was hiding in our cellar all the time. He's killed my husband. What? Do something before it's too late. Which way to go? Toward the south wall. Nice. I put the phone down. My part was over. The rest was up to Stephen in the main tower. I waited five seconds, ten seconds, twenty seconds. Then all of a sudden it came like a million shrieking demons. From the window, I saw the long fingers of the searchlights pointed at the south wall. And pinned beneath the glaring lights was Bucky, frantically pulling his way up the rope. I watched as the bullets hit all around him, picking puffs of powder off the stone wall. One of them had to find his mark. Bucky shot it, then caught himself. He was hit, he had to fall, but he didn't. He started up again, higher and higher. He was hit again, but he didn't stop. And then before I could realize what had happened, he was over the top and gone. Hello? Mrs. Crash? You found him on the outside? No, not to trace him. Okay, got away. But how? He was hit twice. That's right. Karen must have picked him up. But we'll get him. Unless those bullets kill him first. He's got to die. He can't live. He mustn't live. Don't worry, Mrs. Cross. We'll find him. Dead or alive. I hung up. Dazed. Now Bucky was out there. Waiting for me. The lights. The machine gun. He knew now that I'd double-crossed him. And he was waiting out there. To kill me. The next week was a nightmare. Edward's funeral, the messages of condolence. No chance to see Stephen alone. And then one night a week later, he came to me. Nervous, worried. 
We messed it up, Gladys. No trace of Briggs, which means he's alive and out there. That's not so safe for you. But we're safe here. Of course, Gladys. But we just happen to be leaving here. Oh, no, Stephen, I'm not going. That's impossible. The new warden's arriving next Tuesday morning. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Gladys, even if you could stay on, I'd argue against it. But what about Briggs? It's a big world out there, remember? We'll get lost in it, you and I. So lost that no one will ever find us. Not even Briggs. Say you'll go. Well, I have no choice, I suppose. Good girl. Now, listen. I've got it all figured out. My resignation is in. Takes effect next Tuesday night. Tuesday morning, you take the train to New York and head straight for the Hotel Empress. Don't budge out of your room. I'll be along in the evening, okay? You're not listening. I was thinking of something. What? Something Edward said when he died. Hmm? You'll never get away with this. Tuesday morning, I was on the train for New York. It was a short, pleasant trip. And my fears began to disappear. Once I reached the crowds of Grand Central Station, I knew I'd be safe. I threaded my way through the crowd. Just one of thousands of people. And suddenly, there was a hand on my shoulder. Hello, baby. Bucky. What are you doing, doing here? How did you find me? I've been waiting for you, baby. Like I said, I got friends back there. The grapevine tipped me off when you was leaving, and here I am. But, but, but I... The bullets, <laughs> just like nothing. Takes a lot to stop me. Come on, let's get out of here before some bulls bust me. No, wait, Bucky, just, just give me a minute. I've got to call my hotel to, to hold my room for me. Can't I wait? Well, if I don't call, they'll cancel it. Okay, but only a minute. Make your call over there so I can keep my eye on you, sweetheart. I don't want to lose you. Bucky had nodded toward a drugstore. It was a slim chance, but it was better than I'd expected. I entered the store, made a quick dash for the other door. I flung it open and raced madly toward the taxi stand. Over my shoulder, I caught a glimpse of Bucky. He'd seen me. Hey, wait a minute. I ran to the cab and jumped in. Hotel Empress in a hurry. And lose that cab behind us. This is the Empress. We shook that other cab. I headed toward the entrance. Just as I entered, I caught a quick glimpse of a cab pulling up to the curb, but I couldn't stop to see. I rushed into the hotel, up to my room, and locked myself in. Before I even had time to think, the phone rang. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Cross. I just sent a gentleman up to see you. I banged the receiver down. So it was Bucky in that cab. I had to get out. There was only one elevator, and I couldn't try the stairs because I didn't know which Bucky would use. I had only one way out, the desperate way, and I decided to take it. I unlocked the door. I turned off the lights, and I took a pair of scissors from my handbag and waited behind the door. I wasn't a moment too soon. Come in. I pressed against the wall behind the door and watched it open slowly. Then leaping forward, I plunged the scissors into his back. Gladys, it's me, Stephen. Stephen! You said you were coming at night. I I left earlier to surprise you. Why didn't you phone? You haven't arrived yet. Uh, Oh, Stephen. 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 
Hello, baby. Bucky! Surprised to see me, huh? Hey, who's that? Steve Bromley. You done him in. Nice work, baby, but why the chase? I, I had to run. I... I understand. The screw was following you. Thought you'd lead him to me. Yes. yes. Sure, well, you did right, baby, but well, let's get out of here. No. You got no choice. Come let on. Let go of me. Shut up. You're in the whole hotel and I... Let go of me. Come on, baby. You're on drink. Get away from me. Come on. What's going get... on in here? The house Holy I'm cat. getting out of here. Can we are, both of you. Looks like that guy on the floor. You ain't going anywhere for a long time. Let's see you. Here. Reach, chum. This ain't no toy. Neither is... Oh, my hand. Now, let's get going. There isn't much more to tell. You were at the trial, you know the rest. I'm back at Moore Prison for good. As a real prisoner this time. And Bucky, he's got a few hours before they take him to the chair. Mrs. Cross? What is it? Bucky Briggs is just outside the cell. Due to go in 15 minutes. Wants to talk to you before he goes. To me? Yes. All right. Doesn't matter anymore. Biggs, it's okay. Five minutes, Bucky. I'll wait just outside. Hello, baby. I don't have anything to say to you. Yeah, but I got something I want to ask you before I go. It's bothered me ever since I was nabbed. All right, ask him. Why didn't you leave when I asked you to back in that hotel room? Why? <laughs> what are you laughing about? As if you didn't know. Know what? If I went with you, I knew it was the end for me. What are you talking about? You wanted to kill me. Me kill you? How do you figure that? Oh, stop acting, Bucky. It doesn't make any difference now. All right, so I double-crossed you the night you escaped. I called the tower exactly two minutes after you left. You What? So that's how they picked me up so fast. I thought you knew. What a sap I've been. What a sap. Bucky! You dirty double crosser. Bucky, keep away. Help. Double crosser. Help, Double crosser. Get your hand. Break her neck. Better go, break. Or I'll shoot. You're too late, screw. You. She. She's dead. You broke her neck. It don't make no difference now. You can't kill me twice. Now there's a nice, gentle character, that Bucky. Just a little too restless with his hands. So here and now, I'm starting a new movement for Inner Sanctum Mysteries. From now on, our slogan should be, when you grab a throat, stop and think, then stroke, don't choke. <laughs> Before we say goodnight, friends, here's an epitaph for the tombstone of Gladys Cross. Here lies a good heart rent asunder... By a man with a soul full of thunder. A sweetheart named Stephen tried to help her get even. Now they all live in peace six feet under. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is I Hate Blonde. Good night. Pleasant 
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that lovable Irish tenor Dennis Day to arrive to sing and, hey, give you some laughs, too. This program first aired in And starring the popular young singer of the Jack Benny Show in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. And now here's Dennis singing, Take Care. Take care when you say take care of. Your lips may impart sweeter things than your heart means to say. That was the beautiful voice of Dennis Day. But exactly what sort of person is our hero? Well, suppose we ask some of the folks of Weaverville where Dennis lives and works. They know him best. For example, there's his boss, Mr. Willoughby, who owns the drugstore where Dennis jerks sodas. Uh, Mr. Willoughby, how do you feel about Dennis? Dennis Day? Well, when I first met Dennis and hired him to work behind my fountain, I wasn't sure whether he was a soda jerk or not. 
But I knew he was some kind. Hmm. Now, how about a few words from Mildred, Dennis's girlfriend? I think Dennis is a perfect love. It's just that no one understands him. People in this town judge other people by how much money they have or how many brains. Either way, it's very unfair to Dennis. Hmm. All right, suppose we hear from Mildred's mother now, Mrs. Anderson, who runs the boarding house in which Dennis lives. Dennis Day will never amount to anything. He has no ambition, no gumption, and very little sense. My daughter thinks she's in love with him, but it's only because he reminds her of her father. Well, uh, uh, Mr. Anderson, what do you say to that? Any opinions expressed by me on any subject whatsoever are necessarily those of my wife. <laughs> well, how about a fellow boarder at the Anderson Menage? Uh, Mr. Snedeker, how do you feel about Dennis Day? Don't mention Dennis Day's name to me. I ought to tear him limb from limb. Wants to borrow my car, he says, so he can drive his girlfriend Mildred over to pick up her costume for the masquerade party tonight. Why did I give it to him? Because I'm a big, fat, good-natured slob, that's why. <laughs> and what happened? What happens to my car? I'll tell you what happened. Oh, oh Dennis! Did you see that? That parked car ran right into me. <laughs> Golly, it's going to cost me $25 for Mr. Snedeker's fender, Mildred. Where am I going to get $25? Well, haven't you saved any money out of your salary at the drugstore? I've only had the job two days. Anyhow, with taxes what, what they are, I couldn't possibly save more than $6 a week. Well, how much is your salary? $6 a week. <laughs> well, we've just got to think of something. If Mr. Snedeker tells Mama she's liable to throw you out of her boarding house, and I don't know where you'd get another room with this housing shortage. Gee, I'd hate to lose that comfortable room I share with Mr. Appling, Mr. Moore, Mr. Ryan, Mr. Taylor, Mr. Greenberg, Mr. Erickson, Mr. Kerrigan, Mr. Calfleisch, and the Cooper brothers. <laughs> Especially this week when it's my turn to sleep in the bed. Well, we just got to raise the money somehow. Mr. Snedeker said if he didn't get us $25, he'd murder you. Oh, yeah? I'd just like to see him try it, that's all. What would you do? What could I do? I'd be dead. <laughs> but the police would do plenty. Dennis, if you don't mind, I'd rather he got his money. Oh, if I could only win the prize at the masquerade tonight. Huh? You know, the silver cup for the most outstanding costume. Oh, we could get $25 for it easily. Well, gosh, maybe you will win, Mildred. Oh, not having a chance. Mama picked out a perfect stinker of a costume for me. Betsy Ross. Now I ask you, Betsy Ross. That does stink a little. <laughs> Gee, I just finished a book about a girl who'd make a wonderful character at a masquerade. Somewhat different type from Betsy Ross, of course. Oh, what book was that? It was called Forever Amber. <laughs> Forever Amber? Yes, it's a very absorbing book. It took me months and months to get through it, but I finally finished it. Well, why did it take you so long? I kept going back over it to see if I'd read right. <laughs> Educational reading. You know, Mildred, it's very educational reading for a young fellow like myself, though. Believe me, I learned plenty about the London fire. <laughs> Golly, you know, I'll bet Amber would win that cup in a walk. Dennis, I'll do it. You mean you'll go to the masquerade as Amber? Exactly. 
please. Gee, you're liable to catch an awful cold. <laughs> Don't be silly. Now, what can I do with that costume? Cut out the sleeve, lower the neckline, make it slinky and tight-fitting. I don't think Betsy Ross would like this. <laughs> oh, gee, Dennis, I'm sure it can be done. Look, I'll go right to work on the costume. Oh, but there's some other things I'll need, and you'll have to get them for me. Okay. Now, let's see. I'll need a tiara for my hair, uh-huh. earrings, mm-hmm. a pair of black lace step-ins, some exotic perfume. Ooh, what you said. Exotic perfume? No, the one before that. <laughs> Now, look, you can get everything in the same place. There's a little shop on Elm Street called Yvette of Paris. Ask for Mademoiselle Yvette herself and tell her what you want. You think she'll believe me? Well, tell her that for me. She knows my size and everything. Remember, Mademoiselle Yvette. Now, hurry. Hello. Hello. Could I see Mademoiselle Yvette of Paris, please? You're talking to the Mademoiselle in person already. You're Mademoiselle Yvette? But we. Oui. Something I could do for the monsieur, yes. You have the most peculiar accent. <laughs> what part of France are you from? <laughs> France, he says. Mademoiselle Yvette is just the name on the door. Then you're not really from Paris? Listen, the last time I saw Paris, it was holding up my husband's socks. Now, is there something I could do for you? Well, yes, there is. Mildred Anderson asked me to get some things for her. A tiara for her hair, a pair of earrings, some exotic perfume. Yeah. And a pair of black lace. Black lace. Uh, what's the matter, you bashful? Yeah. <laughs> you mean a pair of these? Oh, put them down. Put them down. <laughs> Why are you getting excited? There's nobody in them. No, but I got a vivid imagination. Anyway, she doesn't want that kind. She wants black lace. Black lace, huh? Is black lace becoming already in Weaverville, uh, de rigueur? De rigueur? Uh, it's a little thing I picked up from Charles Boyer. It means stylish. Oh, I see. You pick up little things from Charles Boyer, huh? All the time. It should happen to my husband. Okay, anything else? No, that's all. All right, I'll wrap everything up together. I'll be back in one minute. Gee, these pink ones are kind of cute. I wonder if... No. Still, they might. I'll ask Mademoiselle Yvette. No, it's ridiculous. I'm sure they don't make them for men. $11.50. Uh, $11 and... Oh, my goodness. I'm afraid you'll have to charge it. Charge it? Who to? Why, to Mrs. Anderson, Mildred's mother. She's a customer of yours, isn't she? Uh, yeah. I guess it'll be all right. Here. Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hmm. I wonder. Hello, Mrs. Anderson. This is Yvette of Paris. Look, I've... uh, Yvette of Paris. Yvette of... Rena Feinschreiber, who makes for you the corsets. (laughs) 
Look, a, a young man was just here who bought for your daughter some very fancy schmancy underwear. And I was wondering... I saw you standing in the sun and you were something to see. I know what I like and I like what I saw. And I said to myself... Hello, Mrs. Anderson. Good evening, Dennis. It may interest you to know that I just had a phone call from Mademoiselle Yvette. Oh, really? I have also had a little talk with my uh, daughter, Mildred. Oh, really? I found out she intended going to tonight's masquerade dressed as a certain brazen husband. Oh, really? She is not going to the masquerade at all. I've locked her in her room. Oh, Dennis, if you say oh really again, I shall scream. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. Oh, really? I also found out that the idea of going as this Amber came from you. Oh, no, ma'am. I just happened to mention the Nevertheless, Dennis, Mr. Anderson and I feel it's about time someone had a serious talk with you. Normally, of course, that's the duty of the head of the family. Yes, ma'am. But my husband has offered to do it instead. Yes, ma'am. I'll leave. And you two may talk this over, man, uh, boy, well, whatever the two of you are, talk it over. Good evening, Dennis. Oh, hello, Mr. Anderson. I didn't see you sitting there. I guess your wife had you blocked off. Been that way for 22 years. My wife is pretty excited about Mildred wanting to go to the party as Amber, Dennis. Yes, sir. Mrs. Anderson never let me read forever, Amber. She said it was no book for a man with funny ideas in his head. Oh, have you got funny ideas in your head? No, but she said I would have if I read it. That's silly. I read it, and I haven't got any idea of any kind in my head. Well, this, uh, Amber Dennis, what sort of a girl is she? Oh, you know, companionable, good mixer, makes friends easily. Yes, I understand she's quite friendly. Oh, well. Yes, sir. But we certainly don't want Mildred pretending she's such a character, even for a masquerade, do we, Dennis? No, sir. We want Mildred to grow up the kind of a woman that her mother is, don't we? No, sir. I say we want Mildred to grow up the kind of a woman her mother is, don't we? No, sir. Oh, Dennis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> Mrs. Anderson undoubtedly has many good qualities, but she does boss you around quite a bit. Well, all women boss you around, Dennis. Some do it quietly and sweetly. Some, like my wife, do it loudly and firmly. But they all boss you around. Golly, maybe the world would be better off if there weren't any women, just men and children. <laughs> what a beautiful thought. Well, I hope you've gotten something out of this little talk, Dennis. Yes, sir, I have. I know I have. I'm going to read that forever, Amber, if it takes me the next ten years. And if it's what I think it is, who cares? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I'll be getting back to Mademoiselle Yvette with this stuff. We won't need it now. Bye, Mr. Anderson. Bye, Dennis. Dennis. Huh? Dennis, over here. Mildred. Quick, climb through the window and don't let Mama see you. What, what? Hurry and hand me that box. Here. Easy. Uh, you 
heard what Mama said about the party, huh? Yeah. She won't let you go. I know. She took one look at what I did to this Betsy Roth costume and nearly fainted. Gosh, you did make it kind of daring. Well, I guess we'll never get that $25 now. And why not? This cup is for the most outstanding costume, isn't it? Isn't this costume outstanding? Yes, but there's no one to wear it. Oh, yes, there is. Well, what do you intend to... Oh. Oh, no. No, Mildred, don't look at me like that. Oh, Dennis, don't be that way. You'll make a beautiful amber. <laughs> but how can I be a girl? Girls are built differently than I am. I'm taller. <laughs> oh, notice that. I guarantee that in this dress and wig, no one will be able to tell you from amber. I bet I could never fool Charles the first. <laughs> no, Mildred, I won't do it. Dennis, think of Mr. Snedeker's fender. Think of the $25. Think of the housing shortage. All I can think of is black lace. Black lace. Uh, there, step in. It isn't how I get in, it's how I feel after I'm there. <laughs> All right, Dennis. I guess I shouldn't have asked you. Forget it. Mildred, I... I thought I meant something to you. I thought you'd do it for my sake. I was wrong. <laughs> oh, Mildred, stop. I can't stand seeing anyone cry. You don't care if Mama throws you out of the house and we never see each other again. You don't care. <laughs> Mildred, I can't stand here and see a woman cry like that. There's only one thing I can do. Yes? I'm going to get out of here. Dennis, <laughs> You come back here. We're going to win that cup and pay off Mr. Snedeker. Now go in the bathroom and get those clothes off. But, Mildred... Here, take all this and put it on. And when you come out, I'll fix your makeup. You mean I... I have to put all this on? Yes. Mildred, I read another book once about a wonderful character named Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> all I need is a beard and a short pair of stilts, and I'm sure that... Get a... into that bathroom. Yes, ma'am. Gee, my mother always wanted a girl, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I finally got the costume on, Mildred. How do I look? Uh, well, let's see. It's not too bad. Except you're a little lumpy in the wrong places. <laughs> walk toward me and, uh, and slink like Andrew. I'm afraid to. This dress is too tight. One slink and I'm slunk. <laughs> well, it is tight. Didn't you put on that girdle I gave you? No. Why not? I couldn't get it over my head. Oh, Dennis, they don't go over your head. Don't you know how to put on a girdle? I'm afraid not. I've spent most of my life as a boy. <laughs> but what on earth makes you look so lumpy from your hips down? Oh, that's my long underwear. You didn't take that off? You think I want to catch cold? There's a terrible draft through this thing. <laughs> Dennis, you didn't have to keep your flannels on. I gave you those black lace step-ins to wear. I know, but I stepped into them wrong. They're black lace kilts now. <laughs> well... <laughs> Sit still now. I'm going to put on your makeup. Okay. First, a little mascara. There we are. Now, some powder. Hey! <laughs> Watch where you put that stuff. You're supposed to keep your mouth closed. Golly, if men were girls, we'd never bother with all this stuff. If men were girls, we wouldn't either. <laughs> now, now, look, Dennis, hold still while I put on your lipstick. We're all set. 
There we are. How am I? Why, Dennis, you're absolutely ravishing. Honestly, you're gorgeous. Gee, really? Just go over and take a look in that mirror. Okay. Pardon me, miss. Would you mind stepping aside? Oh, that's me. (laughs) Of course it is. Well? Gee, I am kind of desirable. (laughs) Oh, Dennis, I just know you're going to win that prize. Oh, now, look, we haven't much time. Here's the keys to my father's car. Slip out the window the same way you got in. You'll have to boost me up. I don't dare bend over in this dress. All right. Oh. Oh, I do hope you win, Dennis. <clears throat> there. And please, please be careful of Daddy's car. I will, Mildred. Gee, I did look like an awfully cute girl in that mirror. Not my type, of course, but some men like them. Oh, golly, here comes a man. Here's my chance to find out how I look. I'll drop my handkerchief and see what happens. Oh, uh, pardon me. Did you drop this handkerchief? Why, yes. How careless of me. (laughs) Well, here you are. Oh, thank you, sir. You're really too, too kind. Oh, that's okay. Oh, say, by the way. Yes? You got a match, buddy? Mr. Willoughby. Hello, Dennis. I, oh, oh, I beg your pardon, miss. When I heard your voice, I thought you were a boy who works for me. I do. I'm Dennis. Well, by George. I'd certainly never know you in that dress and with a mask on. Say, uh, who are you supposed to be, Dennis? I'm Amber. You know, the book, Forever Amber. Oh. I may have read it. It, it sort of escapes my memory. Then you didn't read it. <laughs> Say, Mr. Willoughby, when do the judges... Uh, judge the costumes. It's ten o'clock, and I gotta get out of here before I get that five o'clock shadow. Huh? Twice. Oh. <laughs> well, the man who's judging the costumes hasn't arrived yet, and by George, I wish he'd get here. If he there's someone coming in the door now, Mister Willoughby. Oh, oh yes, good. That's him, and high time too. I. Uh... Oh my goodness. Something wrong, Dennis? The judge of the costumes. It's Mister Snedeker. That's right. He's coming over here now. Mister Willoughby, I can't stay here. If he sees me, he'll punch me right in my mascara. Oh, he won't recognize you in that outfit any more than I did. But my voice... I'll tell him you're a foreigner. Speak to him in Spanish. I don't know a word in Spanish. Neither does he. You're perfectly safe. Oh, uh, Mr. Snedeker, right over here, please. Oh, sorry to be late, Willoughby. That imbecile who works for you wrecked my car, and I had a devil of a time getting a taxi. If I ever get my hands on that young, uh... Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> what have we here? Uh-oh. Uh, Mr. Snedeker, may I present uh, Senorita Lolita Del Rio? The Senorita just got here from Chile. Well, I'm delighted, Senorita Del Hacienda, Senor. <laughs> well, now, if you two will excuse me, I, uh, I have a great many things to attend to. Oh, no, don't leave us, Senor Willoughby. I'm afraid I must. Adios. But, Senor Willoughby... Oh, let him go. Uh, much cozier with just the two of us. Mmm, senorita. Oh, tico, tico, senor. <laughs> well, well, so you're from Chile. You don't look very chilly to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you're a dream, all right, underneath that mask. How about a peek, huh? Oh, no, senor. Oh, come on, a teensy-weensy little peek. No, senor, not until the price for the winning costume has been giving out. 
Oh, I see what you mean, my little enchilada. I thought you would, my great big cucamonga. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, speaking as the official judge, I think your costume has an excellent chance. Oh, thank you, senor. Yes, an excellent chance. Uh, Are you married, senorita? No. Uh, Neither am I, you know what I mean? See. But I doubt if anything will come of it. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know. I waited a long time for the right girl to come along. Who can say I'm not looking into her eyes right now? Me. Huh? Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time to award the trophy for tonight's outstanding costume. That is, if our judge, Mr. Snedeker, has a winner picked out. I sure have, eh, my little beauty? Oh, Senor Snedeker. <laughs> uh, folks, folks, your attention, please. <clears throat> now, after a careful study of every costume here tonight, I take pleasure in awarding this beautiful silver cup to the little lady on my left. Oh, uh, what was that name again, Senorita? Dennis Day. Senorita Dennis Day. <laughs> well, my little tamale, are you satisfied now? You can take this lovely silver cup back to... Uh, Senorita who? Dennis Day. You! Why, you are alive? Mr. Snedeker, please! Calm down. Don't get excited. Don't get excited? Why, I as good as proposed to you. It's all right. I didn't accept. Didn't accept? <laughs> no, Mr. Snedeker. If you'd like to withdraw your offer of marriage now, believe me, I'll understand. Why? Let me at him! Let me at him! Mr. Snedeker, Let please! Let me at him! <laughs> Dennis Day returns to sing the beautiful ballad all through the day. I sit alone in the golden daylight I see is a silver sky For in my fancy I sweep away light And keep my image of the sky Just the way we like it You Evening mist melts away. 
soon your lips recall the kiss I dreamed of all through the day. Down falls the sun, I run to meet you. The evening mist melts away. next week for another in the series of Dennis Day programs. More songs, more adventures in the life of our star, Dennis Day, who'll be back when you hear... Oh, that makes life be worthwhile, well then your eyes and the spell of your Corning speaking, this is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.